In a gigantic mess. We had a failed coaching coup this week. Ohio State is messing with the 2024 schedule, and we've got stock up and stock down for you this week, all on this edition of the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason with Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney. We've got the gang back together this week, and fellas, um, Super Bowl Sunday last week. It's nice to get that kind of out of the way, we are now into the football offseason at all levels. Unless you're an XFL, USFL fan, then by all means, have fun. But uh, now at this point, we really get to focus on on team building, right? And, and putting the pieces together at the college football level. Um, and, and we start projecting forward what teams are going to look like after spring ball, after fall camp. And even though we are months away from kicking off, this is kind of when the fun starts to begin for us. Um, and, and I'm really excited to, to dive into it with you guys today. Stock up, stock down. Um, it should be a, a whole lot of fun. But first, we we have to talk about the college football news of the day. And, and this has really taken a lot of the conversation around Instagram and Twitter. You guys have been a part of it on, on YouTube as well. The Pac-12 has been at the center of a lot of conversation. And I've talked a lot about it on on previous podcasts. Trey, you weren't on that last Pac-12 pod. So as we start today with the the first news item, the Pac-12 down to either Apple TV or ESPN for their media rights deal, I'd love for you to make a little bit of sense of all this. It's a really interesting situation. And for a quote-unquote Power 5 conference to be having to scrape the doldrums of a media rights deal, they're not going to be in – look. Obviously, ESPN, Apple TV Plus could be, you know, the way of the future. I think that could be a really interesting option for the Pac-12 if the price is right. But ESPN's obviously not a bottom of the barrel content distributor. But you guys talked about it last week. They are not getting the A crews. They are not getting the A talent. They're not even getting the A technology from ESPN. It's an afterthought with ESPN. And so, like, even, even if they are able to scrum up a deal with, you know, the four letter network and with the mouse, I like, are you happy with that as a PAC 12 fan based on the product that you've gotten? I don't think so. And you're certainly not going to be compensated in the way that these other uh, power five conferences are, and you're going to be lagging behind as a result of that. So I don't know, man, it's going to be fascinating to watch. It's really crazy to think that such an established historic lead, the conference of champions, if you believe uh, certain uh, (laughs) announcers that might like to dabble in some stuff while they're announcing. But um, it's really crazy to think that they could be on the ropes. I I really don't think that that's an exaggeration. It's going to go one of two ways. They're either going to be a trendsetter in getting their media rights on a streaming platform that fans can pay for a la carte. That could go really, really well for them as we get more and more cord cutters, more and more 
generations of people that aren't interested in buying a whole cable package just to watch their team play could go really well for them. I'm not going to rule out that possibility, but it could also be the ultimate downfall of the conference. So it's going to be really interesting to see which direction that goes. Yeah, and to the people that we had on Twitter that were uh, thinking we were a little crazy for pointing this stuff out, that's just a shout-out to you guys. I mean, look, like what Trey was saying, they might get a deal with ESPN, but it's kind of a bad deal. It's not like, you know, what you were saying, it's not like they've been loving the product on the field recently. So, you know, is this going to help them keep up? It's certainly going to help them keep up. And, you know, it's all the the rumors and the whispers and the corners of the internet about how there might be a merger and there might be, what about them and the Big 12? Can they find a way to make it work? There's no reason for them to get together with the Big 12, or there's no reason for the Big 12 to get together with them. And so they're not going to keep up. And that's kind of what we talked about a lot last week, Mitch, was where we were talking, you know, who's mm-hmm. going to end up on top of this. There's kind of four spots for five conferences. Not a good week for the Pac-12. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, and, you know, there's so many different angles here. I think first, you know, just from the business perspective, you know, Trey, we, you just talked about it. it's Apple TV, ESPN Plus, or ESPN, could be ESPN Plus, a la Big 12. Uh, but CBS, Turner, Amazon, and Fox have all publicly said we are not doing this. We are not going to have a media rights deal with the Pac-12. CBS and Turner, I think, were the only true ones that were bidding for a full suite of, of broadcast rights. Amazon and Fox both wanted kind of a la carte selections. Amazon only wanted select windows per week, a Thursday night slot, a primetime Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening slot. And when the Pac-12 said, no, 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 you don't get to pick and choose. We want a full deal. Amazon said, all right, well, we'll take our money elsewhere. For Fox, Fox said, okay, we would really only like the primetime slots as well, but you want to rope us into Saturday morning when nobody's watching, they're watching the Big Ten, they're watching the SEC, whatever, but we want to buy pennies on the dollar. And the Pac-12 cannot afford to do that right now. Garrett and I talked about it last week. Their current media rights distribution is only at $21 million per school. That is dead last compared to every other Power 5 conference where even the Big 12, who was recently in that arena, has now jumped up into the low to mid-30s per school. Um, and you know, then you throw in the money that's going to be redistributed from Texas and Oklahoma and et cetera, et cetera. So... From a business perspective, the Pac-12 is is really up against the wall. And, you know, Garrett, you mentioned we had some people in our mentions that were, were I mean, trying to call us out. At, at one point, we got called clickbaiters because of, of my take on, hey, SMU fans, do you, you know, tell me why you really want into the Pac-12. And that wasn't a take on my end. I was genuinely curious. As an SMU fan, you see what's going on. Tell me, with all of that, why you still want into the Pac-12. And we had fans, of course, that that got that message and said, hey, we want into the Pac-12 for X, Y, and Z reasons. But for those that said either one, the Pac-12 is completely healthy as is. There's no worry about the conference. There's no cause for pause. There's no reason to hit the alarm bells. It's fine. We'll add a couple of schools. We'll be great. Nobody's going to splinter off. Are you kidding me? Nobody's going anywhere. It's a conference of champions. And to that, I say, 
open your eyes. Like you can say that culture and tradition matter, but at the end of the day here in 2023, it's the almighty dollar. That's the only thing that matters. And so for Oregon and Washington and the four corner schools, Colorado, the Arizona schools, Utah, all of these schools are being rumored to be picking up the phone and having conversations at the very least internally about finding a new conference to go be a part of. Because when they start to see the writing on the wall, when they start, it doesn't matter if they come out and in a quote unquote unified statement declare, oh no, we believe in the health of the Pac-12 and we are committed to progress. It wasn't strongly worded either. That was not the most strongly worded statement they could have put out. (laughs) That was as, that that truly to me, someone someone tagged me in it and said, see, we're fine. Everything's great. To me that read is, Crap, guys! Do you see what they're writing about us on the internet? We should we should probably say something about this. And didn't really feel like they even put out the fire there. So, for those of you that that listen to the podcast, or maybe you don't listen, maybe you you just interact with us on Twitter, I would just say take all available information. And in. I'm not pushing a narrative. We are not pushing a narrative on this podcast that the Pac-12 is is headed for the doldrums. We're not anti-Pac-12. We've been very happy with a lot of the production that we've seen from these schools. We're going to be talking about a couple of Pac-12 schools today and stock up, stock down uh, about why you should be excited for them in, in 2023. But at the end of the day, when when you look at what all is going around and seeing, hey, the dollars are flowing away from this conference, you know, our, our common sense, my experience in this industry says the Pac-12 needs to be on high alert here. Well, and it's a historic conference, right? It's definitely lots of teams that have lots of history and you know all that. But you know, you don't want to be the guy standing there saying, you know, like the the captain of the Titanic saying, "Only God can sink the Pac-12 conference," right? You don't want to be that guy, right? <laughs> because you know that's where it leads you to not take the actions necessary to you know avoid situations that could end up tanking your whole conference. And we don't root for that. We're not sitting there cheering on you know, hey, hit the iceberg, right? Don't acquire anybody, no media deals, right? We're not sitting there cheering on that. But at the same time, like you do have to take some actions. You have to start thinking about what you can do to make your product better. And, you know, if it means bringing teams on like SMU and San Diego State, like we talked about last week, Mitch, then yeah, like that makes a lot of sense for the Pac-12. But again, for SMU, does that make the most sense? You're in a, a fine conference, not Power 5, but if you're looking at the new playoff, you know, Way, the way that that's going to be structured and everything else, like you could probably get some auto bids out of that situation just being a really good dominant team in a G5 conference. I mean, do we have any doubt that Tulane would have been left out this year? I don't think so. I think Tulane would have made the playoff this year. Sure. And, and so I, I think that you have to look at that and say, you know, with so many things changing, you can't just say that, yeah, it's good enough to be in the Pac-12 because it's Power 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... The Pac-12 media rights have been a joke for going on a decade now, ever since they launched that failure of a Pac-12 network that no one can get. Like, it's a bad problem. Larry Scott, this is going to be his legacy, possibly, is killing a historic conference because of just his incompetence and arrogance, thinking that his brand of the Pac-12 would carry nationally when he needed to get creative and he needed to find solutions. They're trying to get creative now with these deals with Apple and exploring Amazon, exploring all these streaming platforms. That's creative and that's thinking outside the box, but it's probably, at least in my opinion, probably going to be too little too late. Yeah, that, that's certainly what it feels like. And, you know, Klyovkov versus Brett Yormark both came in at relatively the same time. Yormark was proactive. Klyovkov was not. 
We can talk about that. We have talked about that. We can continue to discuss that on further pods as, as we get more news. But yeah, I think all of us are really rooting for the Pac-12 to figure this out. We're all pro Pac-12 expansion, right? I, I would love to see SMU and UNLV in the conference, mostly just because it'd be a new look for them. I don't, I don't know how much of a life raft those two schools would, would provide over the next two, three, four years, especially considering that the Pac-12 is down to days and months left to get a media rights deal that then determines the future of this conference. So anyway, watch this space. We'll keep covering it. Um, but yeah, mostly just wanted to, wanted to reemphasize we are not anti Pac-12. We want this to work. Uh, but the Pac-12's mess has to be has to be covered, right? I mean, just has to be spoken of in, in real time. Right. Uh, speaking of the Pac-12, Notre Dame went fishing out there trying to find a new OC. They tried to lure Andy Ludwig away to go become new offensive coordinator of the Fighting Irish after Tommy Reese joined Saban down in Alabama. Uh, one problem, guys, they refused to pay the $2 million buyout to get Ludwig away from Utah. And so Andy said, you know what, guys, I'm fine. I'm going to stay right here. And uh, Notre Dame then hired uh, Gerard Parker, their tight ends coach, to be their their new offensive uh, coordinator, which one person joked on Twitter, if Notre Dame tried to hire the man that looked most like Tommy Reese, they succeeded. Uh, go, <laughs> go look up Tommy Reese and Jared Parker side by side. They could be brothers. Yeah, it's just a really interesting situation for Notre Dame. I was shocked. It, it seemed like they just weren't willing or couldn't pay that buyout. And for a quote-unquote historic program or one that wants to be a national player, you would never see that in SEC school, right? Like if Saban or Jimbo or um, you know any of those guys, uh, Smart, any yeah. of these guys want somebody to be their offensive coordinator – Money is not going to be an issue. The person might turn them down, but money is absolutely not going to be an issue, especially, you know, it, it sounds funny to say, but $2 million in the grand scheme of things is not that big a deal when you talk about the money that we're spending on these programs. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It was like a really eye opener for me. Notre Dame wants to be considered still one of the big boys and one of the national powers. And obviously they have won a lot of games, but big boys don't get told no over $2 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I mean, the big thing here is they didn't shell it out. And it's not like it's for some who cares, you know, offense coordinator. Andy Ludwig's offense was 11th in scoring last year. They almost hit 40 points a game. And that's with not the top end talent. They weren't necessarily recruiting at the highest end. They had some really solid players on that offense. But let's not pretend like they're getting the same guys as a lot of those teams in the top 10. Um, and, And to be able to pull that off, in Utah where, you know, it's going to be a little bit colder in altitude and everything else. Like it's, I think it's a testament to what his offense can do. And there's some really interesting things that he does with being physical uh, and and being able to move the line of scrimmage. And so I think, you know, being able to pull a guy like Andy Ludwig would have been a home run higher. If you ask me Um, all that to say, yeah, you're going to let $2 million stand in the way of you getting a solid offense coordinator when things maybe haven't been trending necessarily your way. I know that, you know, they haven't had the best luck and obviously Tommy Reese leaving and everything else. But, you know, I, I think you needed a, a splash to kind of get back on that hype train from last offseason. And, you know, they they didn't they didn't make the splash. Right. And so, you know, it, I hope it's not just, you know, Notre Dame's poor. I don't think that's probably true, but, you know, it, it sure gives off poor uh, 
poor vibes that the you know they wouldn't go out there and just shell out a little bit of money to yeah. get a really good it's, offensive coordinator. It's poor program energy, man. It's poor it's program true. energy, and right. that's who your coach wanted. Like, go yeah. get who your head like yes. if you believe in Marcus Freeman and you trust him to make that decision. Go get who he wants, and if he tells you no, that's one thing. But it's just a bad look. Yeah. Well, and you know, you had the Notre Dame. Uh, donor base immediately kind of take to Twitter a few of them, a few really notable names. Brad Powers is one of them who just said, hey, guys, like, listen, if if I'm donating, but you're not going to use my money to go improve the program, I'm going to stop donating, right? Yeah. I mean, like, this is a very real public snafu for, for Notre Dame, and it, it gave off the we have McDonald's at home energy right like yeah. i don't know we don't need to go spend money out like we've we got have andy ludwig at home in house um yeah so a little bit of a swing and a miss uh, at least publicly now this could be totally unfair to to jared parker right i mean we we don't know we haven't seen him be an offensive coordinator yet so maybe he, he's exactly what they need and that offense uh is going to be a lot of fun under sam hartman we just have to wait and see but at least publicly a, a little bit of a tough a tough scene there to lose out on your guy, the guy that tried, like you said, Marcus Freeman wanted named for $2 million. Um, so we'll see big win for Utah, obviously retaining Ludwig. That's a, that's a huge win for them as they go for another PAC 12 championship. Lastly, Ohio state canceled their head to head with Washington starting in 2024. There were a lot of people that immediately freaked out about this. Uh, one either saying, Oh my gosh, is the PAC 12 falling apart today? Um, I think more than likely it's because Ohio State has started to get some whispers about their future Big Ten schedule in 2024. Know that they're already going to be traveling all the way out there to the West Coast for a game against USC, UCLA already. So why would they do that twice for a non-conference game? Is that kind of how y'all read that? Yeah, I think so. And it's a shame, though, because I think Washington and Ohio State, with the way that Washington is rising up, would have been a fun home and home, especially you don't see power programs like Ohio State hitting the road all that often. So that would have been cool to see them go out to Seattle. But yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on there, Mitch. They're probably limiting the travel to the West Coast to one a year. Yeah. No, Mitch, uh, the, the Pac-12 is imploding. It's all over. Washington <laughs> and Oregon, they're heading to the Big Ten. And the Arizona schools are going to the Big 12. And Cal and Stanford get to just hold each other's hands while the Titanic goes down. We hate the Pac-12 on this podcast. Ah, ah, They're going to play 12 versions of the big game. (laughs) (laughs) The band is on the field just 12 12 weeks out of the year. Yeah, you're you're right, though. It's just a a travel issue. It's just, you know, why would you put those kids on that plane twice, right? It's a travel issue, nothing more than that. Don't overthink it. I I will say the take that, oh, well, guys, it's it's – uh, they're canceling the non-conference version of the game because it's going to be a conference game. Just later in the year, really made me made me chuckle. I guess technically is 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 still on the table, but I, I would be surprised if yeah, that would be a quick turnaround to get them into the Big Ten by 2024. At this point, that would be that would be a hyper turnaround. All right, guys. Well, let's move into stock up, stock down, and we're definitely wanting to carry this throughout the off season. I don't know that it's going to be a you know, a series over the next couple of weeks, but we want to dabble with it. And, and like we say, as we get more news and information on some of these programs, start to kind of formulate opinions about where we think they're going to be in 2023. Um, so we'll run through our stock up teams first, then we'll go through stock down. I, I want to say from the outset, 
honorary stock up to Florida State. I don't know that we need to cover them <laughs> right now, but Noel's coin is going to the moon. I have been an investor from the, the ground floor. Norvell has taken me to the promised land. And um, you know, I'll remember everybody else when I'm when I'm rich and famous off Noel's coin. So honorary stock <laughs> up to them. We'll talk Noel's later on. Trey, you mentioned Washington is turning this around, and that's my first stock up. Washington, to me, has a very clear path to contending in the Pac-12 this next season. Heck, they did it this year. It was because of a tiebreaker that they didn't get to play for the Pac-12 championship this season. For me, Kalen DeBoer... Still bitter about that, by the way. That, that oh, was I know. ridiculous. I, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I would have liked to see a little bit of purple rain in Vegas. Um, shout out, friends. Uh, Kalen DeBoer is, is legit. I think we got tastes of this at Fresno State, but then again, at the group of five level, you never really know how a coach is going to move over. In fact, one of the teams that I'm going to talk about in stock down, uh, down in Gainesville, Billy Napier hadn't exactly made that transition super seamlessly. So for Kalen to come in and, and have as impressive a first year as he did at Washington, I'm really excited about what the Huskies can do. Michael Penix Jr. is a legit Heisman contender, led the country in passing yards, and you know didn't turn the football over. He didn't turn it over. He stayed healthy. Those were the two question marks that he had at Indiana. Now, can he do that again in 2023? I mean, we can hope he stays healthy. We can hope that he produces like he did last season, but there's nothing that you saw from his on-field performance that would give you the give you a reason to doubt, right? Give you a reason to go, nah, I, I didn't see this from him. He answered a lot of questions this past season. So for me, that offense is going to be a ton of fun. Washington also starts, is really seeming to recruit good again. They've, they've always had kind of that one five-star that seems to come in per class, and it's typically been at the quarterback spot, but they haven't developed those quarterbacks. Jimmy Lake, Chris Peterson really at the end of his reign kind of stopped developing quarterbacks. I think Jake Locker might have been the last you know successful one. Uh, and then Jimmy Lake had a cup of coffee there, so he had no chance to do that. So for uh, DeBoer to get a transfer quarterback in Penix I think is huge. They just got Austin Mack, who's a four-star quarterback, to reclassify from 2024 to 2023. For me, all arrows are, are pointing up. I think if you're not on the Washington bandwagon, seats are limited, right? I mean, like, call now. Uh, be, be one of the first 10 callers to reserve your spot because <laughs> they're going quick. I, I really like the direction Washington's headed. Yeah, well, and not just that. They have a pair of really good wide receivers too that I, I saw them you know in the Alamo Bowl when we watched that one and that was a lot of fun to see and, and to be able to have really talented wide receivers for Penix to throw the ball to is awesome I've seen a couple of them end up on those way too early Blitnikoff award you know that kind of thing so it'd be really interesting to see how that ends up for them uh, and, and I really do like the way that Washington is taking their program right now I think you're right Mitch I think that uh, you know, whatever conference they end up in long term, uh, I think that they're going to be a staple for a while with DeBoer at the helm. Yeah, yeah, no complaints from me about this pick. I think they're going to challenge for the Pac-12 title this year and really push for the Rose Bowl, if not the playoff. I think that could really see um, they've got the quarterback to do it. They've got the defense to do it. They could be really, really fun this year. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think they're a fun team to watch. Um, let's stay up north. Uh, let's go to the Beaver State, and, and whichever one of you guys wants to go first, you kind of got opposite teams on the end of the Platypus <laughs> Cup rivalry. So take me inside why, I guess, Garrett, let's start with you. Take me inside why Oregon has their stock up, and then Trey, go ahead and follow him up. 
Yeah, well, you know, Mitch, I'm kind of in the same spot as you. I think Oregon, you can almost copy-paste what Washington's doing, right? You get a, a new coach, Dan Lanning, great hire for the team. They go 10-3. and three, They win their bowl game. They were in the hunt for the conference until the very, very end of the season. You know, they get Bo Nix back after his resurgent year. I think that's huge for them next year is getting their quarterback, you know, back um, after they get him to transfer in again from a program where things weren't working out, resurges their career. Um, and then I think, you know, the the big thing for Oregon right now is they're just kind of building their brand back up to where they were before the kind of slump that they had there um, and, and kind of making people think again, like, hey, Oregon's kind of back on the scene, you know, recruiting decently well. They're playing good football. And I think that's the big thing for the Ducks is not just to play well, because they've always had a pretty solid team that can compete. But it wasn't really until that, you know, sort of early 2010s era when they started to see that takeoff with guys like Mariota and and, and really see that stock take off. I think Dan Lanning's the guy to get him back, and I think they're going to do it pretty quick. Yeah, and, you know, this kind of goes into what I was going to say with Oregon State. It's it's such a shame that as we're seeing all of these programs kind of have a renaissance moment, right? The Beavers, we have Colorado, we have Oregon, we have Washington, USC coming back. Obviously, they're leaving, but just such a bummer that their conference is fumbling yeah. this bag, like, right? Because like, there's going to be so much entertaining football to be had out on the West Coast over the next, I don't know, four or five years. There's been entertaining teams for the past decade. They haven't been nationally elite, but they've been super entertaining, super fun to watch. And we just couldn't watch them because they're buried on the Pac-12 network that no one gets. So, yeah, like Oregon is another one of those teams. They are looking like they're in the right direction. I'll go ahead and transition us over to the other side of that rivalry, though, because I think, you know, Oregon, they're not a blue blood of college football, but they've certainly since at least the mid-2000s been a player on the national scene. They have a lot of backing from Nike, obviously. Oregon State. They've had their moments, they've had their years, but the depths that that program had fallen to, like if you would have bought stock in Oregon State a couple of years ago, you're buying, you're paying like a penny, maybe even less than a penny, right? And now that stock, you talk about stocks going to the moon. Usually when you see a school hire an alum, sometimes that's kind of a cop out, but Jonathan Smith, man, they're in the depths when he's hired. He weathers that storm for a couple of years and now he wins 10 games in 2022 and the fans are starting to believe they're starting to believe in the program that he's building. They're starting to believe in, you know, everything that he's doing over in Corvallis, there's more money being poured into that program. They're completely redoing the stadium. If you didn't watch any of their games this year, they played home games in a half finished stadium still did really, really well at home. And look, they are doing all of that without any blue chip recruits. Like mm-hmm. I, they're, they're signing maybe, I, I think the stat was he signed his first one this off season. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So no blue chip recruits, no highly regarded talent coming into that program. He's coaching them up and they're winning football games. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be fascinating to see how this rivalry develops. I don't think that Oregon state will necessarily overtake Oregon um, in the near future, but man, They've had success in the other big three men's sports, right? They've had they've gone to elite eights in basketball. They've won national championships in baseball. You can win in Corvallis. You can yeah. get athletes there. You can recruit. And so I'm really excited to see if Jonathan Smith can keep upping that game of recruiting and start to really compete with the top of the Pac-12. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, recruits would be huge because you're right. He was the only Power 5 head coach since he took over in 2018 to not have a blue chipper, a four-star or better, commit to the program. So he's done all of this developing with three stars. And then this past year, I believe he got two of them. He got two yeah. four stars to come in. So, you know, Smith is is creating a name for himself as, as a developmental guy. And I think the success on the field is impressive. The success off the field, getting belief back in that Beavers program that used to be a doormat, right? For the Pac-12 North, like you came into Corvallis or you had Oregon State coming in on, on homecoming and you were just already penciling in a win. And, and now the Beavers are a team that you absolutely have to take seriously, can and will make you pay uh, if you underestimate them. So I, I love both of those picks up in, up in Oregon. Uh, let's come back down to the South for my second stock up. I'm going to go with the Texas Longhorns. Now, listen, if you're going Mitch, oh, we do this every year, buddy. Every year, Texas is one of the top five teams that has stock up. I hear you. I, I do. Um, l- let me tell you why I believe that Texas can turn the corner this year. Recruiting and that culture has always been more about, not always, has recently been more about sizzle than actual steak, right? Since their national championship appearance in 2009, since they let Mac Brown go, it's been 40 years in the wilderness, right? All the talent in the world, all the money in the world has poured into that program. And then, you know, you're missing a bowl game basically every other year. And so since Sarkeesian came in, he missed the bowl game in year one, obviously goes eight and four last year. The signs of life are there. The recruiting specifically for me is what makes me believe in this team in his third year. He's transitioned that recruiting base to focus on the trenches, uh, to focus on being physical. They just took four of the top linebackers in the country this cycle. Uh, Sarkeesian is focused on being tough, on winning at the line of scrimmage, and imposing their will on you. Now, do they need to get better in the pass rush? Absolutely. But the secondary really stepped up this past year and looked like they could be an above-average defense. That's been the knock on Texas for the last several years is, hey, they can score points, but their defense is for sure going to give it all up in the fourth quarter. Now it's almost the opposite, where you're moving on from Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. You've still got a very, very talented wide receiver core. Do you have the quarterback that can make all of that sing? And so for me, the quarterback is the biggest question for Texas, I do think Quinn Ewers is going to have development steps forward in this now his second year at the program because guys remember before playing at Texas he re- he hadn't played a full season of football 
since his junior year at South Lake Carroll. He skips his senior season. He goes to Ohio State. I think he had two or three snaps and then comes to Texas. And it was kind of like being anointed king as, you know, an eight-year-old, right? I mean, you've just, you don't have the skins on the wall to take over and lead immediately. He's been through a first campaign. He's been through the highs. He's been through the lows. I really do expect that Quinn takes a step forward. And if not, Texas has all the quarterback darts to throw. They've got Malik Murphy there. They've got, obviously, Arch Manning there. Would it be a little too soon for me to put him in? Absolutely. But there's enough talent in that quarterback room that I think Sark has to have somebody that can run that offense and get that team to 9-10 wins and competing for a Big 12 title. So, Mitch, are you saying that Texas is back? I'm not saying that yet. I'm just saying <laughs> they're trending They're trending in a positive direction, right? right. Like Dow is up 2-3% on the Longhorns today. Yeah, no, the only reason I have anything to pause on with the Horns is because of B. John Robinson leaving, right? If you can replace him, I think that you can – and replace him is a very loose term here. We mean get a running back yeah. who can play well, right? You can't replace B. John Robinson. That's just not what you do with the elite-level running back like that. But if you can get a guy to come in and, and catch some balls out of the backfield, play really well, you know, keep it even honest at the very least, I think you're right. I think they got plenty of talent there. Um, you know, quarterback development, we'll see if Quinn can keep it consistent. We'll see what they have with Arch Manning in terms of how far along his development has gone. Um, I still have some question marks there to see where he ends up ultimately, but I do think you're right. I think the Longhorns have been doing a lot better at, you know, being strong on the trenches, and they're going to have to be with this move to the SEC coming up. You're going to have to win a lot more games in the trenches than you might be able to get away with in a Big 12 conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on the trenches, guys, and Kyle Flood – was the best possible hire that Steve Sarkeesian could oh, have yeah. because he is actually recruiting a lineman now. That was not a thing under Tom Herman <laughs> and Charlie Strong. For the most part, they were not getting blue chip O linemen. And you could see it. They their quarterbacks could not get the ball out of the hands because they were being blitzed. I know that was our big concern coming in was will the offensive line hold up when they were looking at playing three or four freshmen. When you plug in four and five star freshmen, you have a much better chance. And it wasn't perfect, but those guys are going to continue to grow. But man, guys, Bijan was the offense last year. Like, can we agree on that? Uh, yeah. It's going to be scary to see. I think if you're a Texas fan, if you're honest with yourself, when the game was on Quinn's shoulders last year, he was not ready for that moment. And I know that he's going to continue to grow and mature. He's a talented guy. It's, it's make or break it time earlier in the year. And he's going to have some pressure looking behind him, looking at Arch Manning, looking at um, the rest of the QBs in that room because, yeah, there will be options this year. And it's going to be fascinating to me. I don't know that I'm ready to buy on Texas quite yet. I mean, that's that's totally fair. Um, I think, you know, like I said, we do this every year. I think this year maybe some of the signs of life are there, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if this team finds a way to go 8-4, and 7-5, and five, would I be shocked? No, uh, just because that's that's the pattern, right? That's what they've been doing these last several years i i think that's my biggest hesitation is just the fact that yeah we kind of do this every year yeah. and that that was the joke with his texas back right it, it seems like every year we have a texas's back moment and then we have to go and sit down again i mean this year it was the fact that they held bama to a really close game and they escaped austin sure. and we found out maybe bama wasn't quite as good as they were in previous years and you know texas maybe didn't ever quite get back up to that point throughout their season so mm-hmm. um yeah, I think that's my biggest cause for pause is just like, man, I just, can they do it 
this year? Like, can they actually like show some promise and then deliver on that promise in the season? I I'll be waiting to see if that can even happen. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that they can do it. We're just waiting to see if it will happen. Now, a team that you are are bullish on that uh, we were talking beforehand. I thought about including this team, and I'm curious to hear why you're buying their stock, Auburn. Hugh Freeze comes into town, and and you're liking the the case for War Eagle. Oh yeah, no, I mean, look, you may like him and you may not like him. That's fine. You don't have to like him, but he's Hugh Freeze and he knows how to recruit the South and he knows how to coach football, right? If you saw what he did with Ole Miss, bringing them up from you know what wasn't necessarily a respected program, not anything terrible, but not respected by any means. He beat Bama a couple times. Like he he put them in a really good position to to succeed there uh, at at Ole Miss, and you know he he did some really good things while he was there. Obviously, did some uh, not you know necessarily good by the NCAA's book things as well, um, and that's what ended up getting him fired. Otherwise, he'd probably still be coaching there. Um, but you know, to, to Auburn, they don't really care about that anymore. That's their coach. Um, you don't need a guy who's necessarily squeaky clean. You need a guy who can recruit the South and a guy who can, you know, coach ball and, and get you back in the win column a little bit more frequently. I also think it was a huge deal retaining Cadillac Williams and keeping him on staff and being able to keep some of that culture that we saw towards the end of the year. Um, and some of the buy-in from the players, I think that went a long way towards keeping things rolling at Auburn. Um, because they did finish the season on a little bit of a high note, right? It, it wasn't necessarily a great season for them. Obviously, you see your head coach get fired in the middle of the season. Things probably aren't going super well for you. But they were able to kind of surge a little bit at the end of the year and, and show some promise and show some, you know, some players that could do some stuff. Um, you know, I think Georgia being as good as they are also helps Auburn kind of indirectly because it breaks up that stranglehold that Alabama has on the SEC. I think Georgia winning it back-to-back kind of shows, hey, maybe Bama's not there anymore. Maybe they're not invincible anymore. And I think that that'll only go to crack stuff. You know, you, you if you're Auburn, yes, you play Georgia every year, but you were already playing Bama every year. So who cares if it switches, right? Who cares if it's just the other team wearing red that you know is going to be the dominant team in the conference? Where that helps you is it breaks up your state specifically. And then, you know, the surrounding states like Florida, like Mississippi, and it gives you a better chance to recruit those guys and prove that maybe you can be back in the conversation for your own state. And I think I think Freeze will get those guys on campus. I think he's going to help them, you know, kind of get back to a good point. And with the new look SEC, whatever that looks like, with a, a pod schedule, with the three six six, with whatever that looks like, I think Auburn's in as good a spot as most teams in that conference. I'm not going to say as anybody, but in as good a spot as most teams to take advantage of that and, and really capitalize uh, on whatever the new landscape ends up looking like. I think y'all are right that. Auburn's stock is up because it couldn't go any lower than it was this year. Man, am I alone in not getting the hype behind Hugh Freeze? Because I know that he had all the recruiting classes at Ole Miss. Obviously, we know how he got those recruiting classes at Ole Miss. He did pretty well at Liberty when he had Malik Willis, but the fewest games he's ever lost as a coach in the SEC is still three. So... I don't know, man. Like, I, I know that that's a big deal. I know that, you know, everybody was really hyped. And the NCAA sanctions, you know, when they came in, that obviously killed any momentum that he had at Ole Miss. But sure. I don't know. Like, I, I just am really interested to see. He seems kind of seems like a retread to me. Like, I don't know that I would be <laughs> crazy excited if I was an Auburn fan that Hugh Freeze is leading me. Obviously, I'd be more excited than 
you know, where we've been in the past for Auburn, but sure. I don't know, man. I I think compared to Brian Harson and a hire that made zero sense, yeah. he makes sense for he at least is coached in the south and can recruit down here absolutely like you said garrett i think that's where the excitement comes in i don't i still don't know if auburn wins more than six games this year just because comparatively i think that they're still they should be a ways behind some of the other schools right even mississippi state even a&m that didn't make bowl game this year um on field talent they're behind those schools and so it's hard for me to sit back and say, oh yeah, I feel good about Auburn going better than six and six, but I do think overall we've bottomed out and now, now we should see some sort of upward momentum. Uh, Trey, take us out West. You are loving the Red Raiders. We as a podcast are loving the Red Raiders. We have been since the preseason. Tell us why it is stock up for Texas Tech. Yeah, guys. So, if you've listened to this show at all um, in the last year, you know that we are very high on the Red Raiders. We didn't know how year one was going to go under Joey Mack, but he just far outseeded anybody's expectations, I think. I know we were having them hopefully making a bowl game. They obviously made one, had a little bit of cushion, and then just ran five, all over Ole Miss in that <laughs> Texas Bowl. It was awesome to see. Guys, Joey Mack, man, those vibes are as high as they've been on the plane since, what, like 2008? when Graham Harrell was hitting Michael Crabtree. So I'm really excited to see where he can take this program for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's recruiting really, really well. And he's doing, you know, this is, I mean this in the least disrespectful way possible to Texas Tech, but he's doing what Texas Tech should do on the recruiting trail. He's grinding. He's finding the under the radar guys that normally are going to be overlooked by Oklahoma, by Texas, by Texas A&M, and by LSU and Alabama. There's so many programs that want to get the five- and four-star guys that Tech is just not going to be at the top of that pecking order. But he's going and getting the top of that next level. Mm-hmm. And it's giving it's recruiting dividends. It's get, You're seeing the results on the recruiting trail. They were top 25 this year for the first time in a while. And... It's really, really exciting to see now that he's actually getting the talent that he wants. And he's working his tail off on the recruiting trail. Yeah, he knows Texas. And that that's huge to recruiting the Lone Star State. It's going to be huge for the future there. And guys, like we've mentioned so many times on this podcast, and like I'll mention when we get to our stock down, this new Big 12 is wide, wide, wide open when Texas and Oklahoma leave. Now in 2024. So now we're getting that a year earlier. Mm-hmm. Who knows how the schedule is going to look? Who knows what that's going to look like? But Tech is going to be one of the teams in position, I think, from a resources standpoint, from an off-the-field standpoint. Who else in the Big 12 is going to be better positioned than Texas Tech from an intangibles and a program standpoint? Like, yeah. other than location, obviously Lubbock is a little tough to get to, and that's always going to be something that they have to fight against on the recruiting trail. But from a financial standpoint, from a passionate fan base standpoint, from an NIL standpoint, they are killing it right now. I don't think any other school in the new Big 12 is going to outwork Texas Tech. Well, yeah, that's what they've made their name on doing so far under Joey Mack is just out-identifying guys, right? I mean, cornerback Calvin Simpson-Hunt ended up as a four-star out of Waxahachie, uh, went to Ohio State. Texas Tech offered him before he even had a star to his name because they loved the way that he was an athlete. They loved the raw skills, the intangibles that he brought, and said, hey, we'll teach you how to play cornerback. Well, as he finished out his junior season into his senior season, which uh, had a, had another very successful 
senior season at Waxahachie, other schools started to see, oh, wait, shoot, even though this guy doesn't have any stars, uh, he's really, really good. And the, the, the recruiting services finally watched some film on him. And now, lo and behold, he ends up as a four-star. Now, he doesn't end up committing to Texas Tech. He backs off that pledge and goes up to Columbus. But it's that kind of concept where Joey Mack's going to steal some gems, right? He's mm-hmm. going to win on guys that everyone else just doesn't pay attention to because they don't have enough stars next to their name. And that's how Joey Mack's going to build this program, and, and I'm really excited to watch. Well, and the big reason he can do that is because he has those high school relationships, right? Where he yeah. has relations with the high school coaches, with people that still work in the high schools. And, and even if it's not necessarily those guys directly, he can get, you know, friend of a friend said and, and that because he, he has those connections and he knows who to trust. He knows mm-hmm. who knows ball, who's going to look for the guys he's looking for. So he can call up a couple guys, say, hey, is there anybody in the Metroplex that we're kind of overlooking and and, you know, we can say, hey, is there a good wide receiver there? Because I'm looking to fill out my class or, you know, he can go down and, and talk to some guys. Hey, is there anybody in San Antonio I need to be looking out for? And, you know, and kind of just make some contacts because he has those contacts. Sure. Right? And so I think that's going to be one of their biggest reasons they succeed is because not only like you guys are saying, like with the new look Big 12 and everything shifting and all that, but mm-hmm. but also just, you know, Take into account the fact that, yeah, even recruiting against teams like AM and Texas and State, I think they're going to have some real success uh, in, in keeping things going on the recruiting trail just because of the relationships that he has. Completely agree. I'm really excited to, to watch what Tech does. I don't know quite what their ceiling is. I don't know that anybody does. But, hey, um, you know, after beating Texas, Joey Mack said the, the road through the Big 12 runs through Lubbock, right? And I would love for that to have some real truth to it. Um, all right, well, I'm going to pull a live radio move here, and we have we have multiple stock downs uh, written out. Let's do this. Let's save one each for the next episode. We'll do some more stock down in the next one. We'll go one stock down each for, for time. Uh, and, and let's start with, for me, my team is going to be Florida. Listen, Florida's been in the news a lot lately uh, because of NIL, because of the Jaden Rashada set, uh, story. We don't have to relive that, but it peeled back for me the top layer of this onion of dysfunction that I think NIL is going to identify at a lot of schools. And listen, if you don't have your, your T's crossed and your I's dotted, I think you're going to get caught out as this Wild West kind of figures itself out. And unfortunately for Billy Napier in Florida, the Gators were one of those programs. Now, whether the football program had anything to do with this, who really knows, right? I mean, it sounds truly like the boosters wrote a check that they ultimately couldn't cash, and that bit their program. So that's not Billy Napier's fault. That's not the recruiting staff's fault, but it looks so bad for Florida. And for me, if I'm a blue chip recruit, how can I trust anything that that donor base is saying? How can I trust any of the NIL opportunities that legally cannot be signed to me until I have signed on with that program, right? Other, otherwise, it's inducement. So for me, Florida's lost a lot of credibility. You add in the fact that the quarterback situation at Florida is beyond dire. I mean, they, they just don't have a proven winner on that staff right now. Anthony Richardson's gone to the draft. They bring in Graham Mertz, who kind of felt like they might have whiffed on their first 10 names. And then it was like, oh, Graham said yes, so we're going to take him. 
Um, you know, if you think Graham Mertz is going to step in and be a difference maker in the SEC, I, I don't know that you watched much Wisconsin football, right? He's he's going to be the lesser of the quarterbacks in most conference matchups that they have. And so for me, I, you know, recruiting was good. They had a very solid recruiting class, but missing on what should have been your best quarterback prospect, uh, which also, again, was really just kind of a, a spite move at, at Miami. They, you know, the report was they really went after him hard, not because they think he's just this game changer, but really because Miami wanted him and they wanted an NIL win over, over the Canes. All of that drama with the fact that you don't have a QB1, um, you're losing several of your best linemen, specifically on the offensive line. Losing Osiris Torrance at, at interior guard is not going to be easy to replace. I just don't think they have a lot of things going for them right now. And in a loaded, what could be a loaded SEC East, Georgia and Tennessee vying for the top. We'll see what happens with Kentucky. South Carolina is coming on like gangbusters. For me, I'm selling any stock that I have in Florida. Do you guys think that Napier makes it out of 2023? I yeah, do. I think he makes it out. I mean, yeah. look, I think Napier is a really good coach. I think that this just has to do with the landscape around Florida right now, right? Obviously, the NIL thing was a disaster, right, Trey? We touched on that with the Rashada episode a couple weeks ago. But, look, I mean, at the end of the day, you just have to say, if you're competing Florida State and Miami is obviously surging a little bit, um, and, and you have the rest of the SEC and, and, you know, who knows what the pod structure looks like for them. We don't know who their permanent rivals are going to be. We don't know who they'll play on a year to year basis. I just kind of think you're in a bad situation with the landscape if you're Florida. And I, I think Napier will get a little bit of a longer leash just because, you know, that Florida job has been a little bit of a rotating door. Um, but I, I think he'll get a longer leash in this case, at least out of 23. It's going to be interesting though. I like, I, I, think I agree with you guys. Before their bye week next year, they have at Utah, Tennessee at home, at Kentucky, and at South Carolina. All those are in the first. Ooh, that could be over for four. Half, that could be four losses, right, before the bye week. And the Natives are going to get a little restless in Gainesville <laughs> if we're sitting there at two and four or three and four yeah. going into the bye week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Garrett, you've got two programs that are – sort of getting up north. One of them that you were madly in love with at the start of last year, and another one that's out of the Big Ten. Which which team are you selling stock on right now? Well, we'll talk about Minnesota first. Um, definitely selling the stock on Minnesota. I know that is not a popular move on this podcast with a nope. couple of oh, absolute homers. <laughs> Just a couple of homers for the Minnesota Golden Covers. Um, no, I just look, at the end of the day, you lose like your entire offense when it comes to production. I looked this up on the pod. Mo Ibrahim had 320 attempts last year, rushing attempts. They passed the ball 279 times collectively. Right. Not not their top quarterback passed that way, and then some other quarterbacks also yeah. through. All of their pass attempts totaled 279. So when you get rid of more than 50% of the plays that you ran, just see ya, have a nice career in the NFL, and I think that he will. But – I don't know, man. I just, I can't buy into that. You can't replace that much production that quickly. But it's not just the fact that they're losing that. You know, I, I like the coach. I like a lot of the situation they have. I just don't like it as much as I like what else is going on in the Big Ten. I don't like it as much as I like the fact that, yeah, like Matt Rule at Nebraska could be a real home run for them. I don't like it as much as, much as the fact that, you know, if they're going to Wisconsin, I think that they're going to have a great situation in Wisconsin. They've already had guys, 
you know, transferring in. They've got a lot of promise there. Illinois had a really good season. I know we joked about it being the shadow realm this last year, but I think that part of the the, the conference, their division, I think is going to get a lot better this year. And we don't know what it's going to look like once USC and UCLA hop in it's to true. join the fun. So, you know, imagine them in a situation where you restructure their schedule and they get yearly matchups with the Trojans and the Bruins to go along with an Iowa and a Wisconsin and a Nebraska. Things could get real rough for them. And and I'm not saying that they're a terrible team or that, you know, everything else is going wrong. But similar to what I was saying about Florida, I just don't think the landscape works out well for Minnesota. I think that things are changing around them and rising and they just by sitting still or maybe slightly regressing i think they're falling behind man i i still want to say ski ma though baby like i (laughs) i just think that they're built for sustained success in that division i think they're going to be built on running the ball and defense and just bullying people in that division i think that you're going to see that continue under pj fleck remember tanner morgan got hurt this year too. He was supposed to be, and their number one receiver, they dealt with so many injuries and they were still right there in the thick of the division title race at the end of this year. So I don't know. I'm not ready to give up on my darling golden gophers just yet. (laughs) Hey, I'm I'm right there with you. I'll row, I'll row the canoe up, up the Creek. Uh, Y'all are just, y'all are just homers for the wrong M in the big 10. Hey, I, just because I have a home field apparel tab open to Minnesota right now, I'm like, hey, I'm a homer for the Golden Gophers, sir. Not a sponsor could be. Um, Tell you, you know, home field just started selling hats. A company that didn't just start selling hats is University Traditions. Not a sponsor could be, would love to be. Uh, Shout out to you guys for uh, sending me a, a college station collection hat. Looks great. Rope, black rope hat. Really, really fun look. So, um, anyway, sprinkle that in there. Trey, bring us home. Uh, you've got a couple of options here for stock down. Who are you choosing for this episode? I'm going to go a little bit off the wall here because one of mine is very obvious, um, and I don't know what the other one is. So I'm going to go with the not as obvious one. I'm going to go with Cincinnati. And you might Ooh. be thinking, Trey, they're moving to the Big 12. How could their stock be any lower? How could that not be rising up going to the Big 12? From a strictly on-the-field perspective, it was really down this year. And I know that we expected them to take a step back. Obviously they went to the playoff in 2021. Obviously we expected them to take a step back, but just the level of play on the field was subpar this year. And they won a lot of close games in the American. They won, you know, not in sexy ways. And look, Cincinnati, even in the year that they went to the playoff, wasn't winning games in sexy ways. That was kind of the knock on them as they weren't dominating these teams in the American, but this year they took that up a step further and even lost to some teams that they definitely shouldn't have on paper. So to me, I think a lot of people are asking why did Luke fickle of all the times that he could have left of all the times that he could have cashed in on his run at Cincinnati. Why did he leave right before they were going to the big 12? I think that's because he's a smart man. I think that he is kind of being the anti-Matt Campbell just a little bit where he knows, I think he knows in his heart of hearts that Cincinnati is going to really struggle with this transition to the Big 12. I don't know what their over-under is going to be set out for next year. I'm going to pull up their schedule real quick, but it's going to be a tough transition in my mind. And I think Luke Fickle looking at his roster, looking at who he was going to have to go up against in this new Big 12, I think he knew that. And I think that he made the jump at the right time while his personal stock 
was still at its highest, and it might have dipped a lot after they started losing a few games in the Big 12 over the next few years. So, yeah, combine that with the fact that a whole bunch of their team left to go to Wisconsin, left to other places once Fickle left. Recruiting, we talked, Garrett and I talked about that on the show a couple weeks ago. Their recruiting hasn't really made up for that, even in the transfer portal. Guys, even the head coaching hire, Scott Satterfield was, we haven't done our head scratching head coach hires yet for this year, but Scott Satterfield might be number one in the head scratcher hires for me. So just all of that put together things, I means I think that Cincinnati, that transition is going to be very difficult for them. Fair enough. I mean, listen, I, I, I do, I do think people are assuming that UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU are going to come in and have some measure of success immediately. And history says that's not necessarily the case. So I think you're right. I think you're you're dead on that maybe for Fickle, if Cincinnati wasn't kind of his permanent coaching home, um, why take that risk, right? Why, after Matt Campbell has watched his stock plummet, take that risk and, and not bet on yourself to immediately just go and make another program like Wisconsin better, right? Uh, so I, I think that's a good point. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not necessarily as down – on the Scott Satterfield hire as you are, but I do think that you're right about the fact that there is a downgrade in coaching and yeah, it's probably not going to be as competitive. Remember guys, like the big 12 was just a fairly competitive conference this last year. And the two teams leaving weren't necessarily as big a part of it as some of the, like, right. Like we're talking about Kansas state swinging upwards. They make their championship game. TCU makes a playoff, Um, you know, Baylor still in the mix Kansas was a lot better this last year. And so you in Texas Tech, like we just already mentioned on this podcast, a lot better. And so I think that, you know, maybe if you were to do this move, I don't know, say five years ago, you could convince me that these teams would come in and succeed. Right now, I'm not as convinced. And so, I, I mean, I think you're dead on, Trey. I think Fickle was smart to head to Wisconsin. Um, and, and, you know, I think Satterfield is going to be a fine coach for them, but it is going to take them, I think, a a more immediate dip before you will see the stock rise. I think long-term all these schools are in a much better position coming into the big 12 because they're tied in with a a better, stronger conference. Mm -hmm. But in the short term, you could see some pretty severe dipping before you see the, the, the stock raise on any of these teams. No doubt. No doubt. I'm I'm curious. Uh, I think a lot of people are to see how Cincinnati adapts a new head coach, a new recruiting footprint um, that's worked for some teams. It, Hasn't for others. I'm looking at you, West Virginia. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Big 12. But, uh, guys, good job. Wrap on part one of stock up, stock down. Next time we do this, we'll have uh, a couple of stock downs, maybe just one stock up. We'll figure out what the what the order is. But, um, yeah, appreciate you guys tuning in, listening to another edition of, of the 3Tech Pod. Again, you can find us Instagram, Twitter, on YouTube as well. We're growing uh, quite quickly over there. You guys are or eating up the, the show segments that we do, the mock drafts that I'm doing. Um, I'll have a full round one mock draft coming out very soon on YouTube as well. So head on over, uh, subscribe, rate the podcast. Um, that really, really helps us as we continue to to grow and, and have some, um, some conversations behind the scenes. Uh, so anyway, your support means the world, and uh, we're glad to have you along for the ride. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. So long, everybody.